Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The attitudes expressed are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised, there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. Welcome back. It's Recovery Sort Of. I'm Jason, a guy who has never been to drug court. And I'm Billy. I'm a person in long-term recovery. And we're here today with Ray, who is a drug court case manager in Cecil County. And obviously, we're, we're going to talk about drug court, not, uh, you know, dishonesty or, well, maybe. We might be talking about dishonesty as well. Absolutely. But we're, we're, we're talking about drug court today, if you haven't caught on. And I'm going to let Billy take that away. Uh, yeah. So drug court, that's a thing that exists that I hear a lot about. Um, it wasn't around when I got clean in recovery. It wasn't an option, at least here in Cecil County. Um, so I was curious to learn something about it. I know Ray is, works for drug court and is someone we know in recovery. So I figured we'd bring him in to ask him some questions and things about drug court. So Ray, if you want to introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you ended up in drug court. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, my name is Ray and I'm a person in long-term recovery. I've been on both sides of the fence. I've been uh, getting in trouble as long as I can remember. Uh, and I've been, uh, I moved here to Cecil County in 2015 and got clean. When I moved here um, to Cecil County, I, I, I did the recovery house thing and uh, I got into some dead end jobs, some restaurant jobs, some construction jobs that I had no business doing. Um, I was offered a job on the treatment side of things back in uh, 2016. And um, from there, it just kind of artificially happened. Uh, Just the the placement, I was placed at work, uh, taking over drug court meetings, um, that the drug court job became available to me. Now, um, the drug court job is kind of ironic because in 2004, um, I tried to plead out with my case to be sentenced to drug court. And was denied drug court <laughs> based based on my charges. So um, I think we talk a lot about uh, with anything recovery is possible. Seven years ago was I thinking, man, I can't wait to get seven years clean so I can work at drug court. Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. But uh, looking back, uh, back at it in retrospect, it's kind of phenomenal um, for me anyway, being with drug court and, and helping people in that way. Yeah. So tell me what is drug court exactly? Like what, what's it for and who ends up there? Sure. So uh, drug court is an alternative uh, punishment to prison. Um, generally, generally state to state stuff has been going on like this for decades. Uh, whether somebody gets sentenced to a year house arrest instead of a year in prison or whatever, 5,000 hours community service instead of a week in jail, whatever it may be. Something like this has always been happening. I'm definitely taking the week in jail. 5,000 <laughs> hours of community service sounds like a shit ton. Fuck that. <laughs> so what happens is uh, people that are convicted of drug-related or drug-induced crimes, um, and again, that's dictated by the team and by the court, whether they're uh, clear to be sentenced and accepted into drug court or not but um 
if somebody is arrested and the intent found at the end was that it was drug induced, generally drug court can be an option. If somebody um, did a did a burglary here in Cecil County um, and you know uh, stole uh, stole from their uncle's house, took it to the pawn shop, hocked it all got arrested and it was found that you know they uh were addicted to fentanyl or addicted to methamphetamine or whatnot maybe drugs was one of the vehicles driving this crime then that's a person eligible for drug court and what drug court is is a high intensity program so somebody gets sentenced from court um, basically they come meet with me after they do their intake and I give them a laundry list of things they have to do within the first 30 days. Uh, much of it includes community service, self-help groups, like 12-step meetings, as well as being uh, enrolled in outpatient. Uh, further down the line, uh, mandated that they get employment, maintain employment, um, that they continue doing community service, and that they continue to do self-help groups, as well as meet with me and appear in court on Fridays. Are there other options besides 12-step groups to get I mean, do you have to get a slip signed or something? Absolutely. Like so um, we've had people do mental health groups. We've had people do uh, Celebrate Recovery, which I believe is still 12-step still yeah. related, right? Yeah. But as long as it's self-help group related. Now, um, I've, I've always been a 12-step person. That's what I know. That's what I recommend to people. I don't know where the hell anything else is. I don't know where you do anything else. People right. find other shit on their own. But I know AA and A, and I know where to go for the meetings. So that's where I refer to the people. I feel like finding other stuff is probably more challenging. Sure. It's like not as, as widely available. Yeah, Celebrate Recovery is the, uh, the 12 Commandment group. <laughs> same, same thing. It's a yeah. Christian version of 12 Steps. Yeah. yeah. But they have, a, I guess, Smart's a thing that's starting to come around, Smart Recovery. Sure. Which is supposed to be not twelve step based, right? That's yeah, it's like cognitive behavioral therapy based. Right. Well, they, uh, you know, I know a little bit about smart recovery now that I'm in drug court because people do smart recovery and everything I, I I read about it, it does try to institute the twelve steps uh, in some way. So, from my understanding, it does have to do with twelve steps, or they refer back to the twelve step. I don't know if it's supposed to be a definitive vehicle for anybody's recovery. I think it's supposed to be more of a bridge hmm. to recovery. That's my understanding. Okay. I, could be, I could be totally left field with that. Yeah, I didn't think that was how it worked at all. Mm. I'm just pissed that drug court's not more like traffic court. Like, you know, you get a <laughs> fine because you had some drugs. You go and try to make sure you don't get points on your drug license. Like, <laughs> right. Look, I'll pay the fine. Just give me the points, right? I don't want to lose my drug license. I need to get my marijuana license later. I can't be having you. <laughs> right. That sounds way cooler. Points. <laughs> it was interesting also that you said that this was an alternative form of punishment. <laughs> <laughs> like, that sounds brutal. That's not cool. Maybe alternative form of sentencing was a better mm. better so word. If you had a drug charge, is this a way will it keep the drug charge off your record or it will just keep you out of jail? Or I, it can be both. I can't definitively answer that. People get sentenced differently. Okay. Um yeah. so some people get suspended sentence, some people um the sentence is held until completion or discharge. It's a case-by-case -case basis, but that that has happened, yes. But some people, it can still end up with those charges on your record. Depending on Even if you complete Depending on court. the charge and the circumstance, right. absolutely. Okay. And yeah. then is it the same for alcohol-related cases? Do they qualify? I mean, we call it drug court, but is alcohol qualify? Like if you get DUIs or you get yes. you know, yeah. driving-related accident, yep. alcohol-related accident? 
Hmm. That's so interesting that like, I, I feel like with your answer to the previous question about it all depends on the case. I mean, I get it case to case, each one changes, mm -hmm. but it almost feels like there's less maybe legal oversight in what the judge can do. Like almost like the judge gets more freedom to kind of play around with whatever they feel like they want to do. Sure. So lately they've been reverting back. It seems like to this pre-sentencing. Mm. So if you were to be discharged from drug court unsuccessfully, this is the sentence you'd be looking at. Mm -hmm. Now, generally the sentence they hand out or the sentence, the blueprint they give is a maximum sentence. So like, hey, you're backing up. If, if you get discharged from drug court, you're backing up 12 years, mm -hmm. 12 years in prison as opposed to one year in drug court. I mean, to me or you, it might sound, you know, uh, like a very, very easy decision, but um, it's kind of laid out like that. Now in Maryland, the sentencing is weird. Like 12 years doesn't definitively mean 12 years. And right. I'm sort of state to state. You get time and all that absolutely. other stuff. And yeah time service i guess my fear would just be like when it goes on a case-by-case -case basis right mm -hmm. and there's not as much i mean I, I part of me likes that because not every situation is the same you know the guy sure. who did this in one situation is definitely less harmful to society than the guy who did something else but at the same time the judge can be like oh uh that's my old buddy's son <laughs> His charges will not be on his record when he completes drug court. And, oh, that's a minority that I don't particularly like. They're just lazy. His charges will definitely be on his record after he completes drug court. It yeah. just leaves a little wiggle room for... It, I, I can't speak for anywhere else. In Cecil County, they do that shit anyway in regular court. <laughs> it's called like a probation before judgment or, you right. know, those kind of things. So there's always ways around judges mm. getting stuff on your... Because that's what I... My initial... I had a probation before judgment, and they gave me five years probation, and then I never completed the probation, so I got the sentence and the maximum amount of time to back it up, which seemed like a worse. Like, I should have just taken the sentence in the beginning because my sentence would have probably been less, but mm -hmm. since I took the probation before judgment, they told me it would be the maximum sentence I could get, which was – mine was a possession of marijuana, and I got a year in jail for a possession of marijuana, which – because they gave me this probation before judgment option – it was like, if you take this option, you can get nothing on your record. But if you violate, which is what happened, I you get all of it plus the year, <laughs> which yeah. didn't work out for me as a drug addict. Yeah, I ended up with a bunch of time on my probation before judgment that I did. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing. Maybe I would have been better off, too. Right. Huh. So is drug court something people pick or is it a, like or do they just go your case is in drug it's, court? Uh, drug court is 100 percent voluntary program. Oh, OK. Um, which really really works lately as you know this big surge of medical marijuana and prescription um amphetamines and stuff we don't allow any of that in the drug court so if somebody's in jail and they want drug court and they have these things you know okay you can come into drug court but you have to drop these things it's completely voluntarily you, you can't be on a maintenance or really drug court is abstinence based abstinence based with uh with the at least for right now, with medical cannabis and amphetamine based. Oh, at least in Cecil County. Not so much like buprenorphine or. Not so much buprenorphine. Okay. Okay. I was going to say, damn, that's fucked up. They're not even <laughs> following the fucking science. <laughs> I was always told that, like, drug court was a thing. You know, I'm from Baltimore and, and we just looked it up. It's been around since 94. I, I didn't know that long. But I remember 
people talking about drug court when I was getting charges and going to court. Mm -hmm. And I was always like, well, why the fuck am I not in drug court? That sounds like where I need to be. (laughs) But I never was. And I was always disappointed. But everything I've heard since then, I kind of am like, oh, maybe that's a good thing. I never ended up there. That sounds pretty vicious. And I mean, generally, uh, that's that's also the sense that I got um, even being in jail and waiting. Please let me out and let me go to drug court. Mm -hmm. Just let me out of here. I always heard from other people drug courts are set up. Um, yeah. you well, know, if you're going to keep using, yeah. if you're going to yeah, keep, keep using, keep using. If you're going to keep, and I mean that's that's not the only advice. If you're going to keep using and continue to do criminal behavior, it might be a setup for you, and it might not <laughs> right. be for you. You know, right. kind of a fair point. But with, <laughs> right. with I, my hope is with people like me working in drug court, people like me and my coworkers. I have amazing coworkers. Is that we're actually in it for the right. We want to help people. Mm-hmm. At least that's all I want to do. I, I just want to help people. I want to see that glow in their eyes after a year. I want to see them engulfed in 12-step recovery or whatever they find. I want to see them get their family back, get their lives back, get a good job. I want to see these people succeed. Because I mean, going back to me, I mean, at one point in life, there wasn't a person on this earth that thought I could do anything else but use drugs mm-hmm. and commit crimes. Um, so being at where I am to have people saying to me now, I can't imagine you living like that. Hmm. That's a total, you know, flip the script. And I believe everybody's capable of that hundred percent. If the way I was thinking the things I was doing when I was 18, 25 years old and what I'm doing like now is any Testament, then I believe anybody can do it. That was beautiful. Yeah, I know. It was so emotional. I wanted to make a joke and I'm like, fuck, that was so, <laughs> was so nice. No, I think, uh, yeah, there was a time when people thought. The only thing I would ever do would be use drugs and and break the law. Like that was the only thing I was capable of, and I wasn't even good at either of those. It was just <laughs> right. the worst part. It's like fuck. I'm not even good at the only thing I do. Yeah. Um. So you mentioned that people that do crimes, I guess, related to drug, like breaking and entering or theft or whatever, those people can get drug court as well. It's not just drug related crimes. So, um. I, maybe I'm burying myself in a hole here, but I don't want to speak outside my pay grade. <laughs> uh, but, but from my understanding, um, it gets a, we have a coordinator in the program, and the cases come across her desk. Gotcha. Um, and it's decided, you know, after bringing it to the team, bringing it to us, decided if if, if the drugs were enough vehicle for it to be deemed necessary for a drug court, hmm. okay. um, whether they be accepted or not. From my understanding, isn't so all crime drug related? <laughs> Yeah, a lot of it is. Yeah. <laughs> well, so at least for myself, from like what I understand of like the harm reduction point of view and all that, like so all my charges that I was ever charged with are drug related charges. I have no violent crimes. I have no like breaking and enterings, no theft, no none of that stuff. But yet I'm a convicted and have this record mm-hmm. of possessions and things like that. To me, like that always maybe this is me justifying my fucking behaviors, but it like it was always like, well, that's different than someone who's out robbing stores or stealing, breaking into houses and shit. Like, that's still crime. And it seems like if you're committing crimes, I mean, at least my opinion, like, it shouldn't really necessarily matter why, you know. Like, like I feel sure. like to say that I went in and stole from this person because I'm a drug out is a cop out. Like, it makes drug addicts look bad. Like, not all drug addicts are fucking sure. thieves. Like, that's not. Wow, yeah. this is where you should be lying instead of telling the truth. <laughs> <laughs> no, really? Yeah, well, it's it gets back to, like, I think it's consequences of behavior. Like, sure. if if you're 
cons if you're out doing illegal things in order to get and use drugs like that's different than just using drugs but what do you want our criminal system to be about punishment or rehabilitation um I, well i think the happy medium is both I mean, I, I think there should be consequences for actions of behavior. And just like if someone goes out and rapes my child, I don't give a fuck if that guy gets rehabilitated. He needs some consequences for that shit. Ooh, I feel like rehabilitation is a consequence. Like, hasn't it been a painful experience to recover? Uh, has it been a painful experience? Yeah. You don't think the pain of, like the self-awareness of realizing you were a piece of shit and the things you've done to people and like all that's painful. Sure. But that's self inflicted. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I need to inflict pain on other people to <laughs> prove a point. Like, I don't know what point I prove by consequences. I want people well, to come out and be better people. proving a point, but like, let's say I decide, okay, I'm going to go out and play football every Sunday. And then three years from now I got bum knees. Well, that's a fucking consequence of playing football. You know, okay. it's like, sure. that's, I don't want to take us I'm too gonna, far yeah. off the mark here, but, but I, I do want to ask this. Okay. I like your theory. Sure. You can have that theory. I, you know, you don't have to ascribe to my theory. That's fine. But we know that punishment doesn't work. Like it's not working. Everybody goes back to prison. The recidivism rate is ridiculous, right? So we know that way does not work. So punishing people doesn't actually stop them from coming home and doing it to somebody else. So maybe we should think about not worrying about consequences and worrying about trying to rehabilitate people. Maybe that might work better. We don't know, but we know our way doesn't work. So whether it's they did these crimes for drugs or not, maybe our whole system probably should be overhauled to like, how can we help this person get better and not do it again instead of pay the penalty? So I agree 100% that consequences in and of themselves don't work, but there can be like consequences with rehabilitation like they don't have to be independent of each other like those two things can be together like you did this crime so here's your sentence and then here's some rehabilitation to go along with that for example when i was in jail they let me go to rehab while i was in jail as part of my jail sentence i got to go to rehab that was great i mean i didn't stay clean after that i just went because it was fucking better than jail but the idea was, you know, I still had consequences for my actions, but recovery could be a part of that as well. Like, I don't think they need to be independent of each other. And maybe not, but that's where I think the point of drug court is, right? Like, let's try to get these people more towards a focus of some kind of rehabilitation because obviously drugs are the problem that's going on with them, not breaking in people's houses. And that's why I think if we limit who can go to drug court just based on drug charges well now you're taking the people who would have never broken into someone's house or never robbed somebody and you're excluding them from this part of the rehabilitation process because you're like oh nope that was an actual crime that wasn't a drug possession well yeah but they only did it because of the drugs yeah and i guess that would be maybe more of a there's question. a fine line guys there, yeah. I mean, there's a fine line somewhere that nobody can clearly see obviously right so i will say drug court at least in cecil county we don't take any violent criminals no no robberies no rapes no murders no assaults um it, it's it's all non-violent related right. charges now believe it or not that margin is 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 huge like there's a lot of people in prison for violent crimes a lot of people in the prisons will still stay stay full as long as they're not offering rehabilitation for violent rapists you know outside of prison the prisons are going to stay full um and the prisons are full right now 
Okay, drug court programs are popping up. County to county, they're still popping up. I think uh, what's um, what's Centerville and what county is that? Where the fuck is Centerville? Centerville, Centerville Maryland. Maryland. I'm not sure which county though. Well, they're just launching their drug court. So it's still happening. Yeah. It's still uh, there's new drug courts just for one, and it's just the census in jail has never been higher. It continues to escalate. Um, more and more people are doing long terms and. Uh, at the end of the day, there is more and more people in prison for drug-related crimes that may need just a little life. You know, people that are in jail for uh, possession of three and a half grams of cocaine, doing you know three-year sentences on that. You know, where all they did was all they had was a daily coke cap that probably started at a quarter gram a day. Right. You know, and this is where it's got them, and now they're sitting in prison, just meeting other criminals, uh, and other plans to get out. And do whatever they were doing again, but do it smarter. So they're not going to go to jail this time. Right. You know, I'm probably hurting thousands of more people in the crossfire. Yeah. Well, and that was my concern with asking if it kept, you know, this off the drug charges off of people's records is that seems to be what I don't want to say causes recidivism, but that's a big contributor to recidivism is once you get in the system, mm -hmm. then you have a record, then getting a job gets sure. dip more difficult. You know, you're introduced to criminals and, and that sort of almost becomes your identity because Absolutely. now you have this record and, and now, you know, it's, it's impeding your life and your ability to do other things, you know, so having a vehicle to, to help keep that off of sure. people's records is going to make them hopefully less likely to go back and do it again. And and again, the general census, it doesn't necessarily keep anything off anybody's records. Right. Right now they're kind of switching to the, at least in Cecil County again, to um, uh, pre-sentencing. So they're pre-sentenced before going into drug court. So they know what they're facing if they violate drug court. Gotcha. Centerville so, is in Queen Anne's County, by the way. Oh, okay. <laughs> Check that out. So that's interesting. We talk about sometimes that we think at least a large portion of the solution to substance use problem is connection. Hmm. And yet if we talk about this idea of consequences for the crimes you've committed, you're being put into a population to reconnect to the world because, you know, substance use is very isolating. But you're connecting to a lot of other people that aren't doing the right thing. So I guess that would be another thing for me to say, well, why do we want people to have these consequences? Like we're just sending them into a population to connect to more people who are not being rehabilitated. Like now you've got a whole network of people that don't want to rehabilitate or, or have better ideas about how to get better at sure. crime, crime, like you were saying. Well, maybe I'll, I'll ask this as a question of oh. drug court and this may help satisfy kind of this whole thing a little bit so do they have like uh what do you call it like restitution and things like that as a part of drug court like is that absolutely part of any 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 restitution or fines that you owe for whatever um is is it, it, it a lot of these people they still see a probation officer um they still it, everything's the same except for the drug court program. So if they owe any fines or costs or restitution, of course, all that has to be right. paid. So if you went out and broke into your uncle's house and stole $500 worth of shit, then that might be part of your restitution is you have to pay them back for that sure. money, which sure. to me is a consequence for that behavior. You're not just letting them off the hook for Absolutely. it. Absolutely. But, you know, it isn't necessarily incarceration. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm so, with that. So I'm not, yeah, I'm not necessarily thinking everybody that does a crime should be thrown in jail. That's probably 100% the opposite, but there sh I feel like we, 
I don't know. Uh, I mean, maybe it's because I raise kids like there should be consequences <laughs> to bad behavior. Yeah. You know? and, I mean, we also it's hard. We also uh, obviously we can't control what people do 22 hours out of the day because we're only working with them a certain many hours a day um, or 23 hours rather. But um, we don't encourage clients to mingle with each other, especially early clients, uh, giving each other rides to and from drug tests. Uh, working at the same place, riding back and forth. We don't encourage that. Um, generally, um, with branching out and going to 12-step fellowships or whatever meetings they want to branch out to, um, we kind of do that singularly. Like, we're not saying, oh, you 12 people go here. You 20 people go here. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, definitely a case-by-case -case basis. Now, do those people intertwine? Hopefully. Hopefully they're all doing enough right things where they intertwine enough in the recovery community hmm. that they see each other at a meeting or something. But hopefully, at least at the beginning, they're not giving each other rides to that meeting or, <laughs> right. or giving each Two other sickies rides. Two don't make a welly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Two dead batteries don't make a spark. Yeah. What percentage of people go to 12-step versus anywhere else? See, it's kind of been, it's kind of been muted lately, right? Because since, since we have uh, the COVID stuff, I can say COVID, right? Sure. <laughs> okay. Since we had the COVID stuff. We're uh, not COVID deniers. <laughs> <laughs> Since we had the COVID stuff, there's a lot of virtual stuff out there, right? Mm -hmm. So um, there's there's a lot of these great apps, great utilization that was great for when we were shut down, you know? Right. But in turn, a lot of that person-to-person -person interaction has kind of been muted or lost, mm -hmm. right? So a lot of people, unfortunately, have fell back on that. Or unfortunately for us at this right. point, anyway, fell back on the virtual meetings. And, you know, up until this point, we can't deny some money a virtual meeting. Mm. You know, I encourage in-person meetings. To answer your question, I'd say about 80 to 90% is 12-step related. But a lot of it, again, is is virtual Zoom meetings. Not to discredit those meetings. There's great stuff to set at those meetings. But in my opinion, nothing beats the person-to-person -person interaction of 12-step fellowship. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. How are they Man. virtually signing slips? Um, so I, I'm not going to name drop a certain app on here, but, uh, there's a certain app out there that, um, utilizes, uh, NAA fellowship meetings. And what you do is you attend it and you request a, uh, request attendance yeah. slip hmm. and you get that forwarded to your inbox. Wow. And then I sign into their account and I can see how exactly what time they signed in, what time they signed out. <laughs> is that only 12 step meetings on that app? There's it's generally 12 step fellowship. Yeah. I, yeah, it's just one of my pet peeves is that I feel like the 12-step world is the default absolutely, and, and the go-to, and, and I'm not necessarily sure that's the greatest thing. Sure. and, and For everyone, definitely. Yeah, I, sure. I kind of, I don't know. I just try to make that argument on here. Absolutely. <laughs> Me and Billy argue about it. <laughs> absolutely. But, I mean, you guys are familiar with Cecil County. There, there's, I mean, we're getting somewhere. Uh, we started Smart Recovery here in Cecil County recently again, right? Um, Voices of Hope is doing great things here in the county. Recovery uh, Dharma. You can yeah, go visit Jenny at Recovery Dharma. <laughs> Never yeah. heard of it. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> it's Buddhism based. It's, yeah, it's a Buddhist based recovery practice. Awesome. So, yeah. Awesome. They uh, have meetings at Voices as well on Thursdays. Perfect. Yeah. perfect. Um, if, if more meeting slips come across my desk with more um, solution based meeting programs or groups come across my desk i'll be happy to refer anywhere to whatever works i know 12 steps because that's what i've done mm -hmm. and it's my default reference like hey why don't you go check out this meeting tonight get a little life in you tonight you know um i haven't seen a lot of other stuff outside of 12-step fellowship come across my desk except for mental health based meetings and where are they at uh 
mainly online, mainly uh, virtual. Um, I know there's a couple, um, or there's at least one agency here in the county that offers it. Really? Yeah. Um, but yeah. So does drug court still make or have people get slip signed at meetings? As a person that goes to meetings, I just don't seem to see that as much anymore. Yes. Well, we have a group attendance sheet. Uh, which may speak to how many people are actually going to in-person meetings, right? <laughs> huh. But but yeah, we do have in-person meeting slips that need signed. Okay. Um, I've, you know, and that's and that's the thing. I know people, regardless of where you're coming from. I lived in recovery houses where you had to get meeting slips signed, and you never felt like the popular kid when you were doing it, right? You never <laughs> felt good about going up there at the beginning. And waiting till everybody left to get it back from the guy up front, it almost made it feel like, at least to me, I felt like I was showing everybody else that I had to be here, not that I wanted to be here. Yeah, you know what I mean? You're in detention. Yeah. <laughs> so it'd be nice to get to some point where we wouldn't have to utilize something like that. And with the online stuff, we don't. Um, but unfortunately, you know, we have to keep these people accountable. You know, sort of tracking app on your phone. <laughs> Just let Big Brother right. in a little bit more. <laughs> well, your phone was at this destination for an hour. <laughs> right, right. People just ditching their phones my for phone an hour. Hey, Jason, will you take my phone to the meeting? <laughs> That's funny. Hmm. This episode has been brought to you in part by Voices of Hope, Inc., a nonprofit recovery organization made up of people in recovery family members, and allies. Together, members strive to protect the dignity of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment, harm reduction and support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopemaryland.org and consider donating to our calls. So what other things does drug court have as possible consequences or sent alternative sen sentencing, as you say? Like, can they sentence you to treatment? Can they sentence you to detox? Is that I don't, a thing? I don't, I don't like to use the word sentencing. Uh, we can refer to treatment, uh, refer to inpatients, um, refer to a higher level of care. Of course, all that is deemed by the clinical staff or wherever they're being seen. Uh, if somebody comes to us and they're an IOP and they're continuously using fentanyl, I can reach out to that uh, clinical staff and be like, hey, guys, this guy's about to die. You want to send him inpatient? Right. And uh, if it's deemed uh, clinically necessary, they will refer that and I will back the referral. So I I've heard of this situation happen, and, and I don't know how frequently this happens. This mm -hmm. was from somebody who has done a lot of drug counseling in Cecil County. And they were saying that because of the way drug court works, sometimes people who maybe necess didn't necessarily have drug problems per se such as maybe they weren't actually hooked on opioids right maybe this is somebody who like smokes weed and and did get into a life of crime but they end up in the drug court system somehow right and then what happens is they don't really need treatment per se because that's not really their problem right but they get sentenced and treatment is part of that sentencing and then what happens is they go to treatment and the treatment provider ends up lying to the insurance company that they need treatment because they're sentenced there. They have to, right? Mm. 
and it becomes like kind of a scam almost. It's like, I I, I think. right, because they were sentenced to do this treatment that they don't need, but now the insurance company is paying for treatment. That, like, I know that's a little complex, but sure. I, I was just, I was told that, you know, that the person who was a drug counselor in Cecil <laughs> County kind of had an issue with some of the drug court operations because of things like that, that don't make any sense. Uh, something like that has never came across my desk. Okay. Or in front of me, uh, everybody I deal with uh, is very, um, very obviously <laughs> self-recognizing, <laughs> very, very obviously <laughs> dependent on um, uh, substances or have been. Um, of course, what you're diving into is a whole pool of fraud and all that and is uh, conspiracy theories. And I'm sure some of it exists out there. Right. I'm sure it exists everywhere. I've heard of, I've heard of people coming out of Florida saying that kind of stuff happens there all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd be interested to talk to my dad had a similar, I, I'm going to say similar. I don't know if he ever was in drug court, but he, a few years back got a DUI, you know, he was at a work thing and came home drinking and I think he hit a car and, you know. So he got a DUI and sentenced part of his sentence was to go to AA meetings and, sure. you know, all that stuff. And he's not an alcoholic. He just made a dumb choice, you know, and, mm-hmm. and had some, but similar, like he was court ordered to go to meetings and mm-hmm. stuff. And so I'd be interested to talk to him to see, you know, have your dad on. <laughs> yeah, have my dad. No, that would be weird. Because he's not an addict, and he never really did recovery. He would comment and tell us the funny stories about the crazy people that you know we're actual addicts <laughs> yeah i'd call him billy's dad the whole time yeah. so billy's dad <laughs> yeah so what else do you want to talk about with drug court um so like if i let's say for myself um my first charges uh, when i got arrested my first time i got a dui and then i got arrested with like a quarter pound of marijuana it was all in individual baggies for distribution and with that you're shaking your head like that no. would not be eligible for drug court. <laughs> that's a that's a distribution charge. Oh, okay. Unfortunately not, no. So it's just possession. So let's say it was just possession. Let's say I just had a bag of weed and, you know, I was, I guess, what would happen? So I would go to court and they would let me choose drug court or how uh, would that work? Again, uh, outside of my pay grade a little bit, um, I, I just see the people after they were already sentenced in court, after they had their court appearance and come in front of me and I... Go over, but from my understanding, is uh, your attorney meets with the DA um, and try to find an agreement on the drug court program. If they're mutual grant or not, the attorney would bring it forth to the judge. Uh, prior to that happening, they dr- bring it to the drug court uh, coordinator um, to get a pre-approval or whatever. Depending on the judge has the final say. Um, gotcha. So either the DA and the l- lawyer on the same page and the judge has to agree or the lawyer is on the same page and the DA is not and the lawyer has to convince the judge. judge. To... Gotcha. But this is all, I guess, post court. So I would still have a court date where I would go to court and all yes. that normal, yep. however things work. Yeah. We've had people sit in jail for, yeah, that was... especially over the pandemic for a long time, uh, over a year wait, waiting to get, uh, waiting to get approved. Right. So that was my next thing is Mm -hmm. this isn't something that would keep you out of jail in the interim. Like if you no, this is a long court. I mean, court's notoriously a long process Throw the pandemic in there and it's it's gotten even longer. Gotcha. So you may still get a uh, why why can't I think of the name of that bail? You may still have bail and you may still have to sit in jail until your court hearing and then you could come out and then go into court. Okay. So as a someone who would be on drug court, how what's is there like a typical 
I don't know if the word sentence, but is there a typical uh, length of time for the program, like how on average it works or, or what generally it looks like for most people? I, if you're completely flawless in the drug court program, which again, uh, saying the certain things we do, it might not feel like a lot, um, the things we have the clients do, but taking somebody fresh off the street and telling them you have to correct 100% of your problems right now. And you have to walk a straight path right now. A lot of times there's an adjustment period. It's a one-year minimum program that probably averages more like 18 months to two years. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you complete when you meet certain requirements? Is that it's, how it's a phase-based program. Okay. Um, there's four phases. The first phase being the most intensive is 30 days. Uh, the second phase is 60 days. These are minimum. Um, third phase is 90. And the last phase is six months. Okay. And can you, can you briefly describe those phases or are they pretty complicated? Sure. Um, <laughs> all, all phases are contingent on clean time. Um, all phases uh, have a certain number of self-help groups that need to be turned in, a certain amount of community service that needs to be turned in, a certain amount of case management appointments, probation appointments that need to be attended. And uh, of course, court. Uh, every Friday, we all get together for court. And uh, everybody in the program, not everybody in the program. <laughs> it's like, so when you're in phase one, it's a lot more intensive. It's more closer to every Friday. Hmm. Uh, as you, as you uh, gradually move through the program, the Fridays lessen up for you. For instance, when you're in phase four, you're only in court once a month. Um, now at those court proceedings, all we basically do uh, me as a case manager is I present to the judge, the progress or the degress since the last court appearance. Whether they miss treatment groups, uh, they miss their community service, uh, they miss case management, they got kicked out of treatment, whatever it may be, I bring it all forth there at the court hearing, and then we determine what to do from there. Man, I want to ask you if you've ever lied, but I, that wouldn't be good for you to <laughs> own, even if you had. Um, so what phase do they have to get a job? Again, it's a it's a case-by-case basis. Um, so we do have um, some stay-at-home moms. Um, now... That is their primary responsibility. Um, as long as they're in a secured residence for a period of time, that's accredited. Um, generally, uh, at least six months. But but there is part of this program where they have to get a job. Again, depending on this, right, right. Rebutting what the, what I just said. It, de- it depending on the situation. Ninety nine out of hundred people, yes, they have to get a job in phase three. And they got to get a job of the quality that will let them. Not be there on certain amounts of Fridays each month. <laughs> right, right. Wow. So, so I miss a lot of time for court. Yeah, <laughs> so you're setting these people up to have, not you, obviously, <laughs> but the program somewhat sets these people up to have maybe not so great jobs. Like I think about the kind of jobs where you could tell them, look, I just can't work these Fridays. I'm thinking like fast food, minimum wage, low end. Well, I mean, I don't. Well, you're taking people with no self-esteem, sure. right? Who've had this problem with drug use and mm-hmm. all this shame. And now they have to tell the employer, well, look, I want to work for you, but I, I'm going to have this conflict. Like that's hard to go, especially if you're thinking about going for a so-called better job. Sure. Like, I, I don't know. I just sure. feel like that's a kind of, that's a bag of tricks right there that doesn't sound <laughs> like I'd want to be yeah. in. Well, and there's always, I mean, those things are always difficult to navigate. It's the same with, uh ordering people to intensive outpatient sure. when they have a job like that becomes difficult, you know, yeah. and 
It doesn't seem that tough to navigate when people could stop trying to work their Monday through Friday, nine to five, and just have court on Saturday to do drug court and then let people work Monday through Friday. Like, I, Oh, you mean put drug court on Saturday? Duh, it seems like it's minor inconvenience for the fucking people who are already established as working in drug court. Can't that but, judge got golf on Saturday. I get it. I'm just saying. He can't be spending his summers in drug seems court. Seems like some minor tweaks could help the people. That's all. <laughs> No. Ray's like, I like my Saturday. Shut the fuck up. I'll, <laughs> I'll bring it up next week about Saturday. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm sure they'll jump right on it. So, again, I don't know if it's if it's based on um, the sense of the people we deal with, or but that hasn't really came up a whole lot. Now, as far as seeing me um, doing outpatient and you know correlate stuff like that, um, I'm very flexible. I work around somebody's work schedule. As long as they can still make it in to see me at some point, it is what it is. Drug testing, they still have to drug test multiple times a week, you know, so they have to make that work. For people that do work normal shifts, we do offer early testing, uh, 5 a.m., 5 to 7 a.m. Uh, at another location, and then offer it on site at the courthouse forward there till 4.30. Are you available like weekends and night and nights? Am I? Yeah. No. I'm not available, no. It's not that flexible. <laughs> <laughs> well, and as a person who had been court ordered to different treatments throughout my using and stuff and someone who always maintained a job, I just feel like and I know it's not for everybody, but a lot of those things are like I always made it work. And some of that time was working for my family, but some wasn't. And so as addicts, I think we're really fucking resourceful people and can make things work. I think, but if you're looking for, like, yeah, it's not easy when you go out and get yourself into trouble or get yourself in a bad situation. Like, no, it's not easy to just get out of that scot-free without some inconveniences and some some dealing with some consequences and bullshit to getting caught up in the system. Yeah, and and, and maybe some of my stuff is you know what we might call devil's advocate right maybe some of it is but but there's always also this idea of like you know one stick it to the man because fuck the man right Uh, and two (laughs) like yes i I get it it's going to be hard but also why are we as a society we always want somebody else to like pay or have the trouble and like why are we so unwilling to be inconvenienced ourselves if we thought it might help Right. Like, and I'm not saying it would, maybe we move court drug court to fucking Saturdays and it doesn't change a goddamn thing. Right. Right. Maybe not. But I feel like just even the mention of that, like if you were to actually go and mention that to the people at your work, they would laugh you the fuck out of that room. (laughs) Right. Like the idea that, oh man, I could inconvenience myself a little that might help somebody else. And we're like, no, fuck that. They did the problem. It's not my problem. Like, that's that's just funny to me that right. our society looks at things that way. Well, and the way that we look at addiction now is such a, a epidemic in the society. You think people would be more open to varying ways to help people. You know, like, more opportunities for help should not be laughed at or frowned upon. Sure. Like, we should be broadening our perspective right. on how to help more people. So, I mean, I, I got into therapy because I want to help people, right? Sure. And And... I could, because there is a lack of therapists in Cecil County, I could very easily say I want to work Monday through Friday, 8 to 4, or whatever the fuck I wanted to work. No problem. I'm going to have a full schedule. But that people who can afford to take off work are usually the people who have better jobs, more money, things like that. They're more established. And it's usually the people 
that get shit on that, you know, would only be able to work in the evenings because they can't take off from their job or they don't have that flexibility. Right. And those kind of things. And so to me, it's like a priority for me. Look, I got to work two evenings a week. I'm like, even though it's not convenient for my life, sure. I'm dedicated to this idea that I want to make myself available for not just the average person, you know, the person Absolutely. who struggles to get there. And I don't know, I, I do have a little bit of, and maybe that's where my self-righteousness is. I do have judgment of like other therapists that won't make themselves. They're like, nope, I'm working Monday through Friday, nine to five. I'm like, well, fuck you then. You're not really helping people. <laughs> right. And that's not fair of me right. to have that judgment. But that is like, I'm like, no, it takes some sacrifice on our end. You know, I sacrifice two evenings to be you know, at home with my family because I think that's what we need to do to help each other. Right. But, you know, I mean, so going off on a tangent. Maybe in 10 years, everything will look differently. But up until right now, at least, at least in this nation, courts aren't open Saturday and Sunday. And to have our court open on Saturday, it's not just asking the drug court staff to be there. It's also asking um, the judge on top of the judge, the clerk, um, the district attorney. You know, of course, in a perfect world, that would happen. We could uninconvenience everybody and just have the most convenient time for everybody as possible. But a lot of these people... At least, at least from what I see right now, I haven't ran into a problem where somebody's job was in jeopardy due to a drug court responsibility. Now, we've, especially people in phase one and phase two, people want to jump on these nine to fives. It's like, look, take your time right now. Take the job if you have to, but just remember you have these responsibilities. Right. And that goes back to it being a voluntary program. You know, you can sit in jail and not do anything for the next you know, two years or such. Or you can try to take this program, get you out of jail, get get a little bit of life in you, and work towards a career. And, and honestly, the couple of Fridays a month is probably less intrusive than all the piss tests and <laughs> like right. seeing people. And it's probably <laughs> right. a whole lot more than others. right. That's probably a lot more intrusive than just the the Fridays. So. Yeah. Um. And you had mentioned, I mean, in Cecil County, we said what two thousand nine drug court started. I think it's. I'd have to verify. I'd, Pretty sure it's 2009, there. Yeah. and then in some of these counties, it's just now starting. So just this is somewhat starting. fairly new. Well, it all uh, depends on the size of the court. So pr they call them problem-solving courts. Hmm. Uh, um, so problem-solving court has been around, like a, a, we talked prior, in Baltimore for you know, 25 years. Yeah, it's been around for a long time. And I know where I'm from in PA. They they started popping up in 2002, 2003, uh, and now these smaller courts. Are, are just getting the staff together and getting the funding together to have these problem-solving court programs, and they're still popping up everywhere. Hmm. I think looking it up, it said 1989 was the first drug court in America. Hmm. Wow. So, yeah, and of course, I think this most recent opioid epidemic has opened some people's eyes to some real problems in this yeah. uh Let's just lock them all up, throw away the key, and how that's not working. <laughs> that hasn't worked. Um, well, the research on drug court, just taking a quick gander at it, it doesn't really say a whole lot, but it, it says, you know, the ideas are to reduce recidivism, reduce usage rates and reduce costs. And it says that, you know, there's some research based showing it's improved some like and honestly looking at the numbers and I'm not going to relate them all here, but it, it didn't look super impressive on, sure. for me looking at the numbers, but it also said that the methodology was kind of skewed because they can only kind of, it's not very experimental design, right? Sure. It's quasi experimental or it's looking back at what has already happened. And, 
and really like it doesn't take into account people who don't make it through and this, that, and the other. So it's, it's really sure. up in the air of like, is this really effective? There's not a whole lot of evidence based to it, unfortunately. Sure. I mean, I, how, how many people would you say, like what percentage of people complete the program? Ooh, that sounds hmm. tough. That low? <laughs> <laughs> That's a hard question. I, I started drug court in June. Or okay. in May, rather. Oh, so you're still like in the first um, And it's a, it's a minimal year-long program. <laughs> so I haven't, I haven't really seen – I've seen a lot of people graduate, but those were people ready to graduate when I started. Gotcha. Um, now, I'd be I'd be hard-pressed to give you a percentage. If it's uh, – I'd say it's definitely – it's probably definitely right around 50%. Okay. Um, Higher than I thought. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and it might be a lot lower than that. This is based off my caseload. What I see, um, that's probably a good. A lot of people, a lot of people come in hard pressed, ready for it, and shoot right through. Some people come in, stumble a few times, and then shoot right through it. A lot of people come in and stumble and stumble and stumble, mm. and find themselves on the other side. Um, it, it, that's that, that's a really hard that's a really hard question to answer. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm not ask me in two years. <laughs> so, and I did look up a few statistics. I mean, I, and this is just stuff I found from the U.S. Department of Justice. It said from a sample of 17,000 drug court graduates nationwide, within one year of program graduation, only 16.4 percent had been arrested and charged with felony offenses. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, so I guess saying, much. <laughs> a year after the program, you don't have the recidivism, I guess. That's saying 16 to... out of 100 people have felonies after a year. That's not even, that doesn't count misdemeanors. Like, that might be like 98% misdemeanors after a year, but 16 oh, out so of 100 counting have felonies. Yeah. Wow. see that what they well, we assume the worst. We assume they're only talking about well, felonies. Yeah. I'm telling you, they didn't put it out there for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> they worded it that way on purpose. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That makes it sound somewhat successful. <laughs> um, and it says, let's see, this is a different uh, report. It says, the United States Special Drug Court has been functioning for over 20 years with about 2,500 drug courts active in the country. According to a drug court statistic, at least 120,000 citizens in the U.S. get help through drug court effectiveness and interventions. So... That's 120,000 people that you think would be in jail, I guess, that are kept out of jail through one of these programs. Just like, why don't they put the numbers of how many people complete? Why don't they put the numbers of, I, I don't know. I feel like we use numbers in science oh, to like spin how we want. Completion yeah, like how many, what percentage is, yeah. of people who start it complete it? What percentage of people stay out of jail for three years, five years? What percentage of people don't get charges for three years? Like, I feel like there's a lot of numbers not said in that statement, which is kind of interesting to me, like what's left unsaid. Yeah, see, and here's another statistic, but it only includes people that graduated, so it doesn't, you know, it doesn't yeah. mean as much. But it said a study on drug court effectiveness found that 84% of individuals in the drug court program were neither arrested nor charged with any significant crime in the initial year after they graduated from the program. Significant. So, yeah, but that only says people that graduated, too. It doesn't say well, how it, many people graduated yeah. and then what percentage of those people. Well, and who the fuck is choosing what's significant? All right. <laughs> the significant crimes. What, are, what What's your idea of significant crimes? Uh, to me, a significant crime would be anything 
almost anything criminal, theft or, or <laughs> what crimes aren't crime. criminal, Billy? Well, well like not, possession charge, right? Traffic related uh, charges. Traffic isn't criminal. Uh, yeah, you know, court. right? So yeah. a parking fine, you know, things like that. Why can't drug court be like divorce court? All right, I'm gonna leave the drugs. They can have all my money <laughs> right. and my health. <laughs> right. So, in your, I mean, in your experience with drug court, do you find you had mentioned you had tried to get into it at one mm. point? I mean, do you feel that it's a a good option for people that are? I think we do the best we situation? can with what we're with what we have, and I think that goes for a lot of these things. A lot of, I'm I'm sure that goes for Voices of Hope. We we do the best for with what we have, and. I think uh, probably the biggest thing to take away from that last census, census you had, um, people people that complete drug court have a minimum of six six months um, continuous sobriety. That's a minimum because mm-hmm. phase four is six months long, and you need at least that to complete phase four. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think having that amount of clean time, significant clean time, and being rebuttaled back into um, the drug world afterwards. Uh, you, you tend to hit those consequences a little bit harder, as uh, as we we all know, you know. So they get that six months of clean time under them. They go out and use again, and all of a sudden, that recovery was like up on a mountaintop. They're like, "Oh my god! Like, what did I do? What did I do to myself? My life was great, you know." And then you have the people that are out there that are relapsing every week or every month that they don't get that. They don't get that attachment to the recovery, so they're not losing all that. Right. When you have somebody with six months clean time. And they relapse, they're going to fall hard and hopefully get themselves back up quicker. So when you say clean time, but that that can count someone on buprenorphine Correct. or methadone, yeah. Correct. Oh, so they're still clean. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. According to the court. Yeah. yeah. That's all that matters. Yeah. So given your situation over again, would you take drug court as an option for you versus your time in jail? Would that be <laughs> so, – would you still want to make the same choice if – Sure. So I understand your question, but I don't think at the time of my life I was prepared for something like drug court. I wasn't done getting in trouble. Right. You know, um, I wasn't, I still really liked getting high. I still like getting high. Who the fuck doesn't like getting high, right? right. <laughs> that's, that's why we do it because yeah. it's enjoyable, right? At least that's why we initially enjoy it or right. do it. Um, at the time of my life, I don't think looking back in retrospect, I don't, I think it was a blessing I didn't get it. You know, um, I spent more years in prison and I committed many more crimes right. and I wasn't done being a fucktard regardless of what probation officer I had telling me this is what I had to do. Right. So um, I think it, it wouldn't have hurt me in any way, shape or form, but I don't think I, I, I think it was the right call not to give it to me at that time. Right. So like, I mean, I think it ends up like with most forms of recovery, like you, you gotta have some level of desire for absolutely the the program to work you got to have some level of commitment i mean because i think the same thing i'm like eh, even if they would have given me drug court i would have probably not completed it because i couldn't even complete the probation and that sounded way less restrictive than drug absolutely. court <laughs> you know and i couldn't even do that because i wasn't done getting high i wasn't like i was like oh i'm gonna be done now it was like oh no i just need to do this better so i don't get caught <laughs> when you knew when you took the probation before judgment did you know like when you said you would take it that you were going to violate it um at the moment, it was totally just the what's going to keep me out of jail. So I'm sure I didn't think much more beyond the I just want to walk out this door so I can go get high. Right. <laughs> that was probably the most deepest thought I had uh, about the whole thing. I knew. 
Like, yeah. I, I walked out the door. I mean, I knew I was walking out the door to get high now. Like, that was yeah. my goal. But I was like, this is never going to yeah. fucking work. Well, see, and I always thought I could be smart enough. I'm like, I can get around. Whatever mm. they got, whatever they're putting up, drug tests and all that other shit, I'll get around. So not that you wouldn't break the rules, just that you wouldn't get caught. Oh, yeah. I wasn't planning on following any of the rules. That's uh, for sure. Yeah. And yeah. see, I would take drug court under the same guise. It'd be like, I can get away. Absolutely. Guys, you know? Absolutely. So you made an interesting statement, uh, to me at least. You said, we do the best we can with what we have. When you say that, is what we have referring to the population you're dealing with? Or is it referring to the ability the court has in the sense of what it has to offer? Yeah, the tools or whatever. Yeah, uh, yeah tools we have to offer. Uh, uh, offer in the courthouse uh time on on my end i do keep a, a drug court cell phone on me 24 hours a day so if any of the clients are ever going through anything huh. at 11 o'clock 12 o'clock they can always call me that's pretty fancy and, of you. and I, yeah and i could tell them where a meeting is close by whatever it is uh i do the best with my resources with what i know uh with what i know in the county with how i can refer people i'm restricted to cecil county if they're not in recovery housing so, I mean, I, 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 there is options, but it, it's not 24-hour options unless it's a crisis center like Voices of Hope. Do you – are you allowed – is there, like, job limitations where you're not allowed to make, like, 12-step calls that we call them in the middle of the night? Like, are you not allowed to go pick people up and take them to a meeting if they're struggling? Is there, like, a job rule about that? Yeah. Or? No, I can't do that. Okay. Yeah. Just curious. You can just kind of answer the call. and I mean, would, but do you talk to them and stuff? Like – kind of talk them down i guess or whatever like if they're absolutely. really struggling Ab absolutely and again uh, uh, nine times out of ten it ends with me referring to a certain meeting where i know a certain person there mm -hmm. like hey man go to this meeting um talk to this person you know whatever just just so they have a name to show up to the meeting with so they're not showing up to a room full of strangers Cause, I, I mean we forget what that's like right we forget mm -hmm. what that's like walking into a meeting and not knowing anybody you know i got a taste of it a couple weeks ago when i walked into here and I knew nobody in the meeting. I was like, "What? Where the hell have I been?" So to hopefully give them some sort of uh, comfortability, walking in the meeting, having that name be like, "Hey, it's Josh here, or it's John here," you know? Oh, what's up, man? Uh, Ray told me. Um, Ray told me you'd be here. <laughs> I would know? not be the right person for this <laughs> yeah. job. I'd be like, "Go to this meeting and check out Susan. She's really easy. You'll feel way better." <laughs> yeah. It's so, attraction rather than promotion. Right. right. <laughs> when, when you say the tools you have available from your time there, mm -hmm. what would you like to see become available that you think would be more useful? Or, or what, like, where have you seen challenges where you're like, man, I wish we could do this because I feel like people would actually get helped by this, but the red tape doesn't allow it. Have you seen any of that? So I think one thing that's been popping up in, in Maryland, at least more frequently now, are these 3.1 level of programs i don't know mm. if you know what that means mm -hmm. or not you know yeah but describe it for our listeners anyway okay so 3.1 is uh, we're all familiar with halfway houses recovery houses 3.1 is a transition from a 3.5 inpatient program where it's more recovery house uh centered um but it's also something that allows you to get established and get on your feet because uh at least the first half of these programs are primarily covered under insurance so it gives uh, a person an opportunity, especially from inpatient, where they're not just throwing themselves in a recovery house and find themselves $1,100 in debt in the first month, or they're not going back home and being in the same shit storm they left from, but rather transitioning into this community where they can art uh, naturally kind of rebuttal and get all their stuff back and work towards a career, work towards schooling, 
get themselves on their feet and give them a chance rather than get them indebted immediately as soon as they enter the facility. And you're saying there's just not enough of them around right there's now? There's none like we need in more. Cecil County. Oh, okay. There's zero in Cecil County. I think we're going to see a change of that over the past over the next 12 months. Mm -hmm. I know of one of which that's open in Elkton in the next six months, mm -hmm. and hopefully two or three that are following suit. Hopefully make uh, the Cecil County Recovery community look a lot like what's happening over the bridge right now. So what I need you to do is from now on refer to them as one quarter way houses and uh, <laughs> tell everybody yeah. that I coined that. Yeah. <laughs> quarter way, halfway, quarter three way quarter way. way. Right. We yeah. need a quarter way. We were just saying that. We need quarter way houses. This is it. Yeah. It's a quarter way house. Um, so in Cecil County, is this is drug court, you know, I've used the word full, but is it full? Can it take more clients? Is there a cap on how many people it can help at one time or can be involved at one time? Uh, there might be a cap. Not that I'm aware of. Uh, right now, I have uh, uh, my caseload is 25. Ooh. That's pretty good for uh, what we do. I mean, it's it's it. Everybody has time. I have time for everybody. If it got up to a rate around 50, I might have some issues. Holy shit! Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know that it could go that high. I have no idea. Right now, right. it's 25, and I'm, I'm, I'm we're doing just fine. Are you, you the know? only case manager? No, there's uh, there's four of us. It's four case managers. There's like 100 people in drug court. Give or take. Yeah. Now, um, probably less than that because um, some some of the employees are part-time. Hmm. Um, I'm a full-time case manager. And I know at least probably two other ones are full-time. So probably around 85 Okay. right now. Do people stay as case managers or do people stay in the drug court system working there very long or is there a lot of turnover? No, I've, there's actually no turnover. Huh. <laughs> I had... Uh, I don't know if you'd call it luck, but I was lucky <laughs> and, and, and made it get, getting this opportunity from the time I started working in drug court to now because prior to that, there wasn't a changeover. And other than my one coworker, I think six years. So, I mean, it's not a, it's not a huge office. There's me and the three other case managers. There's a coordinator and there's the peer. Do you feel like in general, the sentiment towards you as the drug court case manager is that you're another gatekeeper authority person asshole, or is it more like, hey, Ray's, Ray's all right, he's working with me, he's pretty decent? So uh, 100% of the time, that's how it starts out. It, oh. it, it starts out with them coming to me, talk to me like probation officer. You need a face tattoo. <laughs> Throw that off. <laughs> no, I, need a, I need a face tattoo for sure. <laughs> now, generally, after our first visit, I always try to loosen everybody up. I tell my story. I, not the bulk of it, but, I, man, I, I understand exactly where you're sitting. I was sitting where you were sitting many, many, many times. I was facing the same things you were facing, and I still face a lot of those things. You know, try to, try to relate to them as much as possible initially so they're comfortable telling me when they're relapsing or when they feel like using or, or what's happening in the home. Because I like to get the broadest spectrum of what's going on in this person's life, so I know how to help them. You know, oh, you, your 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 brother's fucking smoking crack in the room next to you. Maybe that's not the best environment for you right now. It's great that you're talking about it, but let's see what we can do about it outside of getting your brother arrested. You know, right? <laughs> right. You know? Get that motherfucker locked <laughs> up. <Right. Yeah. laughs> get him out of the house. You got any more questions? Uh, no, nothing else I can think of. All right. Well, I I definitely appreciate that. In, I, and I don't know that this was the case, you know, in 1989 when drug courts were becoming established. I feel like they were probably hiring Joe Schmuck out of the fucking college you know, right. to, to hold this right. position. But I appreciate that somebody with lived experience and, and at least some level of compassion towards 
the people in the situation sure. is who is in that job, right? Like I would much rather see somebody like you there than Joe Schmuck out of college who's sure. just like, right. fuck y'all, I or don't care. Or some probation officer who feels like they're just looking to violate every... Right, I, I can make my like... job, my caseload can be shorter <laughs> right. if I violate these people, right? Like, right. So that's that's awesome that, that you're there. And, you know, I, look, I don't know if drug court's fucking effective or not. Science can't even show that quite yet, but I... I <laughs> I'm glad there's some movement towards let's look at this differently, right? And if nothing else, hopefully that inspires even more movement to like, we need to really fucking reevaluate this whole thing and, and treat people like humans and sure. give them a chance. Yeah. Is there anything you wanted to add about drug court? Anything you wanted to say or Tim want to leave out? I think we covered everything pretty well. Everything awesome. that I know anyway. Yeah. I, <laughs> I guess that talk to me in two years. Maybe I'll have a broader scope on everything. <laughs> So if you're out there uh, and you're interested in drug court, ask about it, and and hopefully you just stay the fuck out of court <laughs> right. altogether. Stay the fuck out of drug court. It's probably way better for <laughs> your life. But if you get arrested and you get some charges, there's right. drug court. <laughs> right. All right. Stay safe. Did you like this episode? Share it with people you think might get something out of it. Check out the rest of our episodes at recoverysortof.com. Also, while you're there, you can find ways to link up with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, YouTube, anything. We're always looking for new ideas. Got an idea you want us to look into? Reach out to us. <laughs>